Hello and welcome to Sequelize It, a movie rewatch podcast where we chronicle the triumphs and dissect the disasters of Hollywood one movie franchise at a time. Embraced by the darkness, they're losing the light, encircled by demons they fight, it's Lord of the Rings to Two Towers. Being a slave to the warm tongue in my mind, I become, I become, I become a, I become, I become, I become a, Casey in, Casey in my mind. And joining me tonight is... Fox from Backlash, and I'd like to remind you that while trees may talk, they're not that interesting. Shout out to the three people who understood that reference. <laughs> three people. Uh... <laughs> I'm no Chris alive. Sequelize its mastodon on the monotone, and I enjoy potatoes. <laughs> We're back at it this week as we continue our deep dive into Peter Jackson's magnificent epic and also the Hobbit movies. But first, here are a few ways you can help the podcast grow. One, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app of choice. Two, be sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Three, follow us at on Twitter at Sequelize It. Four, send us an email and let us know what movie franchises you'd like to see us take on at SequelizeIt at gmail.com. And five, if you like what we're doing, just tell a friend to give us a listen and keep on circulating the podcast. Backlash and Chris, now that we have a little more background on the Lord of the Rings movies, how did you initially get on with Lord of the Rings to Two Towers? I definitely enjoyed this one a lot more than uh, Fellowship, if only because everything's been established. We know who these characters are, we know what we're dealing with, and we can just go. And it, it definitely helps that this one's a lot more exciting. I was uh, essentially, for the most part, I enjoyed it on a similar level as fellowship like i didn't i didn't dislike fellowship too much or i didn't i didn't have too hard, much trouble with it despite its length that that'll ultimately be my point of contention but um at the same time that movie does not end nearly as satisfying as as this movie and there there are also certain things like like for instance i think the character of Gollum like adds a lot to this movie the way the way he's immediately portrayed like the the way he, um, the 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 way they sh- they cut around him, the way Andy Circus acts, just like those aspects in particular. But even saying that, like there are some parts of this movie that I thought were absolute diversions. Uh, I I did see the extended cut, and I I would assume Backlash did as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the regular cut, and I'm with Backlash. This was a way easier movie to get into. I think in the last movie, part of what hampered my ability to just sit and enjoy it, I, I think I said it at the end of the last episode, was that I was definitely expecting this trilogy to be more Star Wars, and it is not Star Wars. So now that I'm kind of over that, I'm over that hurdle of it not being Star Wars, so it, it was easier to just, like, watch the movie without thinking about, like this is how Luke would do things instead of Frodo, and this is how Aragorn is like Han, and, like, all that kind of stuff. I didn't really find myself thinking in this particular instant, because it's not really... I mean, there are aspects of it, I think, 
you can definitely see where there's some Lord of the Rings influence in Star Wars, but they're wholly different stories, and I think this is the movie that was like, I could finally appreciate that they're definitely different and good in their own ways. So yeah, I had a lot more fun watching this one. Um, it definitely, there are, I think we, I think we will all talk about the parts, the parts where we feel like it kind of just hits a brick wall and wastes time, but overall, I think it was, uh, you know, a more enjoyable watch for me, just understanding kind of where everything went. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. With the initial thoughts out of the way, we can now get to Trivia. of the behind the scenes production of the lord of the rings trilogy in the last episode so pop on over and listen to our fellowship of the rings episode for more information on that the two towers actually was never originally planned to be its own movie with parts of it having existed in the scripts for both fellowship of the ring and return of the king this ended up making the two towers the hardest movie to write as it is very clearly the middle act of an epic story but middle acts don't typically have a beginning middle and end we also mentioned the fact that this movie took over a year to film which explains why a large scale change to arwen in aragon's subplot was made which i'll rant about when we get to it in act two Nevertheless, scenes like Boromir's death were moved to Fellowship, and Gollum purposely leading Frodo and Sam into danger was placed at the beginning of Return of the King. The Battle of Helm's Deep was then placed as a climax of this film. You can't really talk about this movie at all without talking about Andy Serkis's tremendous job as, as Gollum slash Schmeagle. Prior to Lord of the Rings, Circus appeared mostly in theater, carving a small role for himself in British television productions such as ITV's Oliver Twist. This movie is the one that catapulted him into stardom. Gollum was originally planned to be a CGI-only model, but Peter Jackson was so impressed with Circus's performance in the auditions that he decided to use him on set as well. This created a small problem as Elijah Wood and Sean Astin both performed considerably better with Circus on the set as opposed to basically having to act against air without him. The production wound up rotoscoping the CGI Gollum over many of the scenes and Gollum underwent a redesign once Circus was officially cast as Smeagol for Return of the King. Circus would then go on to do... Hold on, let me check my notes. Um, The CGI version of literally every character that you can think of. To give you an idea of just how far CGI still had to go, it took four hours to render a single CGI frame of Gollum. The seed and Treebeard CGI model took 24 to 48 hours to render a single frame. Lord of the Rings would go on to make nearly $1 billion worldwide through its various releases and re-releases. It has a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 95% audience score. 
And so, yeah, we're. I feel like we're going to have a much deeper CGI discussion when we get to the Hobbit movies. But just, just the amount of effort it took to even do CGI at this time... Like, there are definitely scenes where you can tell that it's filmed against a blue screen or there's forced perspective and stuff like that. Like, I guess, like, an early starting question before we get into the act summaries is, like, how did you guys find the CGI in this movie compared to, you know, how did the CGI stand out in your mind as bad or good or did it just kind of blend in with everything else? It was mostly good and consistent throughout the movie. There's only a few po- few points in the movie where I'm like, ah, oh, that doesn't look so good. But given the time this came out, uh, remember, I think uh, at this time, uh, the... Um, uh, fuck, why am I blanking on this? Oh, I know why I'm blanking on this movie. Uh, Attack of the Clones was coming out. and uh just compare the cgi between those two movies uh i think two towers wins yeah definitely yeah certainly um as far as i can tell like i mean there i think i was making an effort to look at seams or to look at um cracks in in between like the the kind of uh effects that that were going on i mean not everything for instance like and just to divert a little, I had seen Army of the Dead, which is 2021 CGI, but that that fucking zombie tiger looks looks awful, <laughs> and, they, and they dwell on it for so long. I will say that there are certain things like Treebeard looks a bit too um, a bit too off the wall at times, but as Backlash used the comparison of Attack of the Clones, like none of this prevented me from being immersed. Like, as much of an effort as I was making to to sort of be like, let's see if, like, there's any kind of, like, gaps. Like, whether or not I could, something looked, like, unreal, it, it didn't, it didn't prevent me from, from being engaged in the movie. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, that, I'm concerned that's the most important part. Yeah, there's definitely, there's, there's scenes that I could go through the movie and I could nitpick and be like, oh, well, that's that's a blue screen and and that's you know that's kind of yeah. well that shot looks a little bit weird but it doesn't really factor into the enjoyment of the movie and i think it's because they don't really linger on it like in a lot of bad cgi movies it's like you have bad cgi and then rather than hiding it you just show it for as long as you possibly can whereas this i think had a lot more uh, there was a lot more craftsmanship and there was a lot more blending of the real with the CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, very famously, they built a pretty large set uh, for Helm's Deep. Um, obviously, you can tell the parts of Helm's Deep that are CG, but again, it would only really matter if you're being super cynical and looking for it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, if we're going to compare this to Attack of the Clones, the, Attack of the Clones is how you don't do CG, and this is the, this is how you do it, you know, especially at this time, right. you know, uh, especially because, you know, this, these movies didn't have, you know, the budget that Attack, that Attack of the Clones just by itself had. 
<sighs> but with that said, I think we can move on to our feature presentation. We begin our tale with a long panning shot of a mountain before jumping back to the scene of Gandalf fighting the Balrog, but this time we follow Gandalf as he falls, catching his sword partway down and hacking at the Balrog like a total badass. But, the, but it turns out this was maybe just a dream of Frodo's. The journey to Mordor continues with Frodo and Sam, and there is much discussion of ropes, chickens, spices, and of course homesickness for the Shire. However, it is soon clear they are being followed as they are attacked in their sleep, sleep by a being attempting to steal the ring. The creature, Gollum, is quickly overpowered and tied up. Sam insists on putting him out of his misery, but when Gollum lets slip that he knows the way to Mordor's Black Gate, Frodo takes pity on him and decides to let it, to let it be their guide. Elsewhere, the Urukai are bringing the, the captive hobbits to Isengard, but what remains of the Fellowship is tracking them. That's all I have to say about that. The Kingdom <laughs> of Rohan has found itself sieged by Saruman's forces, with towns being burned and innocents slaughtered. One such victim is the King's son, but King Theoden seems apathetic. It's become clear that he's under a spell by the sinister Grimma Wormtongue. How do we know he's sinister? Because he's played by Brad Dorf. Theoden's <laughs> nephew, Eomir, attempts to challenge Grimma as an agent of Saruman, but winds up being banished from the kingdom for his efforts. Night has fallen, and the orcs and Urukai have begun to argue if they should eat the hobbits or not. This is cut short as they are attacked by the riders of Rohan, and it appears Merry and Pippin have been killed along with the rest of the orcs. Morning comes, and Aragorn's group encounters the riders. Eomir is leading them and tells the group of the encounter with the orcs and that nothing was left alive. So that's a bit of a whoopsie. The group finds a pile of corpses and it appears that Merry and Pippin are indeed dead, but Aragorn, being an expert tracker, is able to divine that they're alive and escaped into Fangorn Forest. We see said escape as the two hobbits are pursued by a single orc and things seem bad until a tree comes alive, killing the orc and snatches them up. The creature, Treebeard, is an ent who has never seen a hobbit before, so assuming they're orcs, dumps them in front of a mysterious white wizard. Back with Frodo and Sam, Gollum has led them to a place known as the Dead Marshes, filled with bodies from a battle long ago. Frodo appears to be bewitched by said corpses and nearly falls prey to their spell, but is saved by Gollum. Before we can process this, a ring wraith shows up, so it's time to run. Back in Fangord Forest, Aragorn's group are attempting to find the hobbits, but when they sense a white wizard nearby, they assume it to be Saruman. The fight is over before it begins, but the wizard is none other than Gandalf, having gained enough experience points from, to level up after beating the Balrog, and now says his mission is to free Theoden from his curse. And that's Act 1. Oh boy. That was very abridged, because <laughs> the, a lot happens, but uh, it, it, it's not great for recapping. Yeah, there's only so many times you could say Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, you know... Are running behind the Uruk, the uh, what the the Uruk, the Uruk guy. guy? Yeah. Um. There's only so many. There's only so many ways that you can say that they're 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 running in a field. One thing I'll say about uh the first act of this movie that that probably does a better job of of really uh bringing forth the the war's effects is what's happening to the to the kingdom of Rohan. I feel like 
you don't really see much like outside the Shire, and then past that, like outside the 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 sort of purview of of the Fellowship's journey, you hear a lot about this and like how how things are are kind of like are going to come to ruination. You you hear about Saruman's plans, but you don't see it affecting like anything outside the purview of the heroes. So this is this is a good way to start off. Yeah, it gives you a little bit more. It makes the world feel fuller. Because I think in the first movie, when you're going to... When you're going to the City of the Elves and talking with, like, Elrond and Galadriel, they kind of... They seem so above the fray, like it's not going to touch them. So it almost feels like... Uh, the threat doesn't feel as pressing as it is because they don't feel as worried as they should be. They are more worried about the ring than they are about, you know, Sauron coming to basically take over the, you know, take over Middle-earth. Whereas in this movie, you actually get some boots on the ground of how this is affecting the actual people of you know this planet and i think that makes everything feel a little bit more grounded and real oh yeah and brad uh, brad dorf as worm tongue was just <sighs> say this brad dorf is amazing in every single movie he's in uh, yeah including I... alien resurrection he's the only thing that makes that movie watchable <laughs> i'm i'm going to be effusive in my my act summary to, to spoil a little bit but i absolutely love brad dorf um, he's done everything from film to TV and like, it's always usually like someone crazy, but, but he's, that's his, his forte. But do you, how do you guys feel about like, we talked about how like Sean Bean is constantly cast in movies where he, um, he movies and television shows where he dies. How do you feel about seeing actors who are very clearly, you know, kind of typecast as one particular kind of character as Brad Dorf is. I mean, if it works, then good. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, is it, I mean is that, it, that, that, that's is hard it, to answer. Is it a question of typecasting or is, it, or is it the way Backlash described where you look at this man, even in the context of your, of your sort of fantasy world, and you, you wonder how people can can sort of see the evil chancellor and even think that he's to be trusted in it in any way, shape or form. Hmm. I mean, uh, I think in, I think in that, I mean, if we were talking about the, the chancellor, he is in that case, Ian McDermott does a good job of appearing charming at the right time. So you would understand why this charismatic person would be able to amass this power. Um, and again, and, that, and I'm not trying to like bury Brad Dorf. Like he does a very no, 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 very good good job in this movie of making me want to see him die, which is basically what what you're supposed to want. But I I do think it's interesting when you see a character in a movie and you're like, oh yeah, that that guy is definitely a, the bad guy just because of the guy who's playing him. I wonder if there's a. Uh, if there's a moment where that takes you out of the movie, or if it makes the character more interesting. In my opinion, it can kind of go either way, I guess. As we do more of these 
as we do more movies, we'll, we're going to come across more actors, I feel, that constantly play the same kinds of characters. And maybe we can talk about it more then. But I do think it's just interesting that I was like, oh, Brad Dorff, he was great in Alien Resurrection. Literally no one else was, so yeah. he should be good in this movie. This for Is it that this first act is too dense for us to just be like, Oh, this part stood out. This part stood out. This part. Yeah, stood kind out. of. I mean, uh, th- there is kind of one thing that I do want to talk about. It's something that a lot of people bring up. What do you think of the characterization of Gimli in this movie? I think hmm. that he's been relegated largely to comic relief. Yes, but I think I think that it's pretty consistent with Fellowship of the Ring. Like he he just talks about his people. He could he. He at the very least is given like the the kind of side plot which applies more later on, but where he he competes with with Legolas in terms of like contributions to 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 the war, body count wise. Yeah, well, people I, like to bring up th- that he has that uh, very emotional scene when they're in Moria, right? And right. that that's probably like his greatest moment. And then after that. In Two Towers and Return of the King, they uh, almost every scene like is like, oh, ha ha, he fell down, or oh, ha ha, he can't stay on a horse, or oh, ha ha, he can't run as fast as everyone else. I think that one of the problems I had with Fellowship was that it seemed like Gimli and Merry and Pippin were all trying to battle to be the comic relief, and so in this movie, given that Merry and Pippin are kind of off doing their own thing. It didn't stand out as much that Gimli was the comic relief to me. I didn't really have a problem with him being the comic relief. He he did have his emotional moment in Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, again, I'm I haven't read the books, and I would not attempt to read the books because you know I enjoy you know just like my time and stuff, and I just don't. Yeah. <laughs> I just. I just don't want to. Let's just I think, be real. I think there is. <laughs> like I said, be... I attempted, but yeah, could yeah. I think there is something to be said for the fact that um, we in we're probably more engaged with this movie. I mean, I said it was on a similar level to Fellowship, just because I didn't have like too many issues. But but Two Towers maybe can be argued to be more engaging than the first one. And this is within the context of not only having the same amount of characters, if not more. Like, if not, like, dwelling on more characters, but also cutting bet- from one location to another. So we may we may conclude, like, from what uh, Casey was saying, that that uh, part of the issue with the characterization in, in, um, in the first one was that there were so many characters in, this, in the same location, taking up the same space, perhaps, like, fulfilling similar purposes, thus becoming redundant. Like... Is it that they're they're off doing their own things and that they're they're cutting away to different locations so you could get like a different kind of tone, and so you Legolas, Gimli, Aragorn like balance each other out better in their scenes? Yeah, I think that's it because it, it, you get the sense of in Fellowship, it's implied that through this journey everyone becomes friends, but you don't really see them become friends. In fact, you it's far more often that you see them kind of like bickering or like just they don't feel very close and in this movie i feel like because they're all split off there's more time for you know aragorn and legolas and gimli to have their own special kind of 
relationship where the characters can all breathe, basically. Mm-hmm. And they're they're not sort of suffocated by all being in the fellowship at the same time. And so yeah, Gimli might be the comic relief, but he is not surrounded by, you know, two other characters that could also be the comic relief. Or he, or even even go so far as to say like Sam as well, because like he he sort of hasn't completely he doesn't prove himself useful throughout like fellowship until until like the end when he when he vows to sort of like protect Frodo. And so he could be anything from like their connection back to the Shire to like a sort of millstone to another comic relief. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in this movie, Sam is a lot more he is heroic and also cynical. Especially when it comes to Gollum, he is not about this Gollum life. Yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. like, I know what this motherfucker is going to do, and Frodo's Frodo. Uh, there's like a phrase that come up in my mind that's called like Sting stupid. How sometimes you just know Sting is gonna get swerved, and everybody right. knows Sting is gonna get swerved. But the only person who doesn't know is Sting himself. Right. So so what you're saying, well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's a compliment because like I recall the the adjective you had for him last review is Jabroni. Yeah, he's moved he's he's achieved main event status, at least. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> yeah, I d I don't think I think Frodo is actually again, because everything is more separated, I feel like there's more room for Frodo to actually be a character and actually exp- actually, you know, express his emotions, actually go through a change. You can s- you can slowly but surely see the change that happens in Frodo over the course of this movie. And so it it he doesn't come across like a jabroni to me in this movie. He's like, yeah, this is a main character who is going through an arc who is going through things that it is going through a struggle and it's it's very it's way more compelling in this movie than it was in fellowship i think um yeah i also think you're not giving Gollum enough credit because i i feel like the the movie does a good job at kind of showing his internal conflict it doesn't so much come out in act one it's more of an act two thing it, yes mm-hmm. as we'll as talk yeah. about yeah. that when we get to that um, yeah. I have a question of like, as far as like, do we find the the sort of like Orakai, like whether it's Saruman's forces or or just like, do we find that they have like at least a bit more personality this time since we get to hear him talk and like bicker with the other the other uh, goblins orcs? Uh, a little. I mean, there's still like like all the orcs seem to be interested in his food, mm-hmm. while the Orakai they're they're completely loyal to Saruman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they're they're, still they're, little... they're they're the clone troopers. They're a little bit too much putty patrol. Like they're post order sixty six. Yeah, they're they're just they exist. They're not really characters in and of themselves. Uh, you know, they are a, a threat, but there's no like, you know, there is no real one of them that stands out from the rest. And so I, it's far, 
more intimidating when the ring wraiths show up than it is when I see the Urukai marching. Because I kind of sort of know that the Urukai are just like mooks that are going to get slaughtered, you know? Yeah. And on the subject of the ring wraiths, they're, they're used quite a bit more sparingly. I, I feel like you couldn't sort of even broach the subject of, of the ring from Frodo's perspective without like sort of seeing the seeing the the spiked uh, armor, seeing the hoods, and like in this, they're they're used a bit more functionally. Yeah, they they they're not just you know riding behind Arwen as she rides away with Frodo for what seems like ten fucking minutes for no real reason. They're mm-hmm. they they're actually there to say something about you know the story and where the story is and where Frodo is and where the journey to return the to to destroy the ring is going. Um mm-hmm. we see a lot more in this movie how just how powerful the ring tr- well and truly is because it's almost as though the ring is orchestrating things in a manner that will help it achieve its end goal, basically. Like, you almost get the sense that the ring wants to go to Mordor, which is... It's interesting that something that seems to be an inanimate object kind of has a mind of its own. Oh, well. Well, it's a magically enchanted object. Yeah. Um, So it, it... yeah, a will is a better way of putting it. That it has a will that it is sort of orchestrating things in order to, you know, it it feels very much like it's manipulating Frodo and it's manipulating Gollum slash Meagle, right? Know, to 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 achieve its ultimate goal. I didn't mean to make uh, I didn't mean to make it seem like you know Gollum isn't a complex character because he is. Again, I guess we'll get into it more in Act 2, but he is a fascinating, fascinating well, it, character. It's almost like, um, I forgot whether the, the word is synecdoche or met- metonymy, like, um, similar to, like, how the, the eye is, like, is, like, a synecdoche, like, a part representing a whole of Sauron, like, so, so is the ring, like, he, that represents, like, his, his hand or, 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 or his will. Sorry, I muted myself and then I couldn't figure out how to unmute myself. Okay, I was here <laughs> for a second. Uh, yeah, because I was trying to Google what met metonymy. Metonymy. It's you use uh, big words that confuses us. Yeah. Substitution of the name of an adjective for suit for business executive. <laughs> so it's like yeah, it's like calling a businessman a suit. It's, metonymy is something associative, where synecdoche is is something that's a literal part. Uh okay, like, okay. <laughs> but anyway, it's a synecdoche. <laughs> um, I was also googling this. Uh, this first act does bounce around a lot, but I do feel like it compared to the to Fellowship, where it just seemed like there were a hundred things happening all at the same time that you have to keep track of. Again, once you kind of have, like, the background of the characters, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, yeah, this this is happening because this is happening. Like, it feels... It just feels like an easier movie to watch than Fellowship did. Yeah. Yeah, like, movies like this that are three to four hours long, uh, 
if it's good, it doesn't feel its length. If it's bad, then you're just wi- you're just sitting there waiting for it to end. And uh, this does not feel its length. Yeah. Well, there. Um. Well, I guess we'll get to it in Act Two because I have a whole thing. But <laughs> oh yeah, I think I know what it is. <laughs> uh. So, anyone else have anything else about Act One? Alrighty, then I guess we could just move on to Act Two. Okay, uh, Ganondorf, now white, reveals his horse called Ganondorf. Equa. Ganondorf, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Gandalf, now white, reveals his horse called Equifax or something. Uh, Tree- Treebeard takes Merry and Pippin deep into the forest and essentially sings them to sleep. Full disclosure, I was beginning to nod off myself. Not for lack of quality on the movie's part. Gandorf discusses strategy mentioning the need to free Theoden from Saruman's influence and the advantage that his forces do not know that Frodo has the ring and plans to destroy it. Speaking of which, Gollum and the two hobbitses have reached the Black Gate of Mordor, but owing to the massive army ahead, Gollum proposes an alternate way through. Merry and Pippin get sucked inside the living forest. Our four heroes head to Rohan, though they must... (laughs) Though they must relinquish their weapons to the King's Guard due to the influence of Grima Wormtongue, uh, Gandorf is able to keep his staff. He confronts Saruman through Theoden, and with a combination of magic and a battle inside the King's mind, he is able to banish the traitorous wizard. Wormtongue is able to escape for a reason I can't quite ascertain beyond Aragorn being a babyface. The, <laughs> the King of Rohan, utterly revitalized in himself, sets aside time to grieve for his son Theodred. Our heroes join him in mourning, and the, and the peasant siblings from the beginning catch up with the people of Rohan. Theoden urges the people to make an advance towards Helm's Deep. Aragorn calms a horse in Elvish. Saruman confers with Wormtongue while Mucus drips down the ladder's th- nose. Brad Durf is the bomb. Using the symbol of a cage, Eowyn expresses reluctance at hiding away while the others fight. Unfortunately, the conniving Wormtongue knows that they're headed towards Helm's Deep because he's cunning and it was a mistake to just let him slip past. We catch up with the hobbitses taking Smeagol's much greener and brighter route. Sam and Frodo have a spat about whether they should trust him, at which point Sam accuses Frodo of being taken in by the clutches of the ring. Fair enough, Frodo uses possessive words to refer to the ring, so Sam sees the writing on the wall. Smeagol has a contentious conversation with Gollum in a twisted shot-reverse-shot structure. The next morning, Sam and Smeagol argue about cuisine. They run into a troop of seeming rangers with a bunch of olefants. The rangers bemoan the casualties of war. Gimli amuses Eowyn with a potpourri of conversation. Eowyn is clearly attracted to Aragorn, and despite his bond with Arwen, he is certainly, if if subtly, reciprocal. Apparently, Eowyn has anime-trope bad cooking skills. Aragorn is the best-looking 87-year-old. We get an Arwen-Aragorn-Elrond flashback cutaway diversion something or other. I'm selling the character building short, but that's what it is. Just then, Saruman's warg riders invade the three heroes and the, and the soldiers of Rohan. Wargs are these badass panther hyena fuckers. The non-combatants and Eowyn retreat further to Helm's Deep while the Kingsguard and our heroes stay behind. Gimli takes out a warg and gets trapped under another. Aragorn gets dragged away by a mount. He pushes the orc off, but falls down a cliff into the water below. As a minor key version of the Fellowship late, uh, leitmotif plays, the heroes despair. Eowyn leads the people of Rohan to Helm's Deep. Two children reunite with their mother. Gimli must despairingly inform Eowyn of Aragorn's apparent death. We go back to Saruman and Wormtongue convening. Grima informs the wizard of a structural weakness at Helm's Deep. Saruman reveals his force of tens of thousands of soldiers. The evil chancellor is almost in- intimidated at their sheer number. Did I mention that Brad Durif is the bomb? 
back to Marion Pippin, Freebird essentially lays out that Saruman is symbolic of British industrialization in, in his ruination of the forest. Aragorn, <laughs> in a perfect dead man's float, dreams that Arwen's kiss awakens him. That made no sense as I type it, but fuck it. Elrond urges Arwen against her affection for Aragorn. Somewhere Queen's Who Wants to Live Forever is playing. Galadriel informs Elrond of the co- coming Isengard army at Helm's Deep. We reveal that the rangers who have captured the hobbitses and their gangrel creature, unfortunately Gollum is doing no fangin' and bangin' anytime soon, are led by Faramir, the late Boromir's younger brother. They interrogate Frodo and Sam. Frodo protects Gollum. In a flashback, we see that the reason Boromir is a one-ring-obsessed dick, aside from the obvious, is because his father emotionally abuses Faramir by holding his old, old, older brother in higher regard. It's the father's stupid idea to get the ring. Faramir and his men capture and torture Gollum, where his obsessive ramblings reveal Frodo's secret. The younger Osgiliath brother wants the ring from Frodo. Sam merges the other habit to escape using the ring. Faramir finds himself utterly transfixed, but ultimately deterred by the news that Osgiliath is under attack. Aragorn's journey back to Helm's Deep is alarmingly interrupted by witnessing the sheer scale of the approaching Isengard army. And that's Act 2 as far as I can tell. <laughs> you want to talk about jumping around? <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's just talk about the part of this movie where the second act of this movie where everything is happening, but it's going, the story's moving forward, everything is cool, and then it just slams into a brick wall for this Aragorn and Arwen shit that doesn't mean anything about anything. It, is it just me? Is it just, is it literally just me who doesn't get why the movie has to keep stopping? To 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 kvetch about these two people's forbidden romance, it just seems like a bit of nothing to stop the movie from happening. It may be the what uh, Peter Jackson does to make up for the lack of a uh, Tom Bombadil. Yes, <laughs> I guess, but it's like you could take. You could take the Arwen shit out of the last two, out of Fellowship and this movie, and it would, what difference would it make? It just, it just serves to, it serves no purpose. It doesn't tell us anything. That was one of my, like, sort of overriding discussion questions, like, what would you cut? And I think that you have something there. For the purpose, like, this would, like, disillusion a lot of people who are fans of the lore and fans of the books. But you could you could have Aragorn um, fall for Eowyn in just the movies, and like that be the interpretation of this story, and you probably wouldn't lose much because the way they play Eowyn, she is clearly very attracted to Aragorn. Yeah, despite the significant age gap. And this is this is part of the problem with this is part of the problem with filming three movies at once and it taking over a year is that it was originally supposed to be that Arwen was supposed to show up at the Battle of Helm's Deep and they were and essentially their romance would play out in that fashion but because because I guess fan reaction to it at least the Wikipedia entry suggests that fan reaction to the idea that Arwen was going to be at the Battle of Helm's Deep in spite of the fact that there were no elves technically at Elm- Helm's Deep in the book. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. They, so, they were like, well, this is gonna piss them off, and they actually, there's actually behind-the-scenes 
photos and footage of 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 Arwen, you know, kicking ass at Helm's Deep, but they wound up cutting it out of the movie because, well, one, it like was there any part of the scene where you could tell that there was an interaction with Arwen that was missing? No, that nope. was pretty seamless. And now that you mention it, if they're willing to cut that out, then yeah, you could you could have like Arwen as kind of um, as just like the Aragorn's backstory, just how he's sort of like somewhat tight with the elves, how he knows their language, how he he's sort of able to get around um, in the world without necessarily being tied to Gondor. Yeah, it just yeah. the whole uh, just. Every time Arwen, every time there's an Arwen scene, it's just like the movie hits me in the face with a steel chair, and I'm like, why, why does this part exist? Like these movies are long enough without this shit, and it's not like this. I felt like this movie was going on forever, but this is the one. This, the sequences with Arwen were the ones where I was just like, just, just get rid of it and just. There's no point of this being here. Like, you mentioned the stuff about Faramir and his father. That is not in the theatrical cut. And that is... Cr really? Yeah, oh. it's not in the theatrical cut at all. And so, when Faramir showed up and he wants the ring, I'm like, okay. Like, in my, in my act summary, I kind of have Faramir is just, like, a stupid dickhead. Because... It makes no sense that he would just show up and kidnap Frodo and Sam and want the ring. Why keep the Arwen shit in this movie, which has nothing to do with anything, but cut the backstory for Faramir, which is crucial to understanding the character and why he's acting in the way that he's acting. And it also doesn't go on that long either. I, like it's It's a veritable flashback, but it's it does a lot. I, I I wonder if it has to do with the fact that, because I know that it's been brought up by other people who analyze this movies, that there are, there are a lack of female characters in this movie. And I guess they thought Arwen was the best one to kind of give more screen time to. Because, you know, the way Tolkien wrote these books, he wrote them surrounding male characters because, you know, to quote the Simpsons, it was the style at the time. If that is the reason why they put the Arwen stuff in, that is a bad reason because she she her character doesn't serve a per. Awen is far more intriguing as a character than Arwen ever is in either of these two movies that we've watched. Right, right, and and if I mean if they could cut out like Liv Tyler from that that climax, then why can't they put in uh, Awen? Why can't they they just why can't she sort like it almost feels like her sort of her plot doesn't really pay off as as presented where where she wants to be a part of the fight yeah and it's... and i'm guessing that that'll probably pay off in the next movie i'm i'm very much guessing that but yeah it just seems kind of i don't know it just this is the second time that i've watched these two movies that i've in these movies that I've been watching it and just been like, why, why is this part happening? Why, why all of a sudden 
are we flashing back? And it's not even obvious that it's a flashback. It's just like... It's just some shit that happens, and I'm like, what? what is... I just... I was just... I was very confused. I was very, very, very confused. Yeah, and, and it also makes, like, what you're left with in terms of the cutaways to, to um... To Rivendell and to Elrond, and is that like you could you could again cut out Arwen and you could just have like the Elrond sort of be conflicted about like sending out the elves to to assist assist the men, which was also supposed to be, which was also supposed to be another scene that was in this movie was that Galadriel and and Elrond were supposed to meet and have a meeting about this. So the reason we get all sorts of kind of like weird close ups on Elrond and. Galadriel is because, you know, I guess she's telling him this stuff telepathically instead of in person, even though the dialogue is supposed to be them having this conversation in person. It's like, it's weird. It's just, it, in, it, it feels like in trying to keep the Arwen stuff in the movie, they pushed out stuff that would have made more sense, kind of. Like, these movies don't feel... This movie doesn't feel excessive in terms... Like, it's three hours, but again, it doesn't feel like three hours. But at the same time, you're just like, what is... What exactly is the point of this plot point in particular? <sighs> okay, someone else can rant now. <laughs> Alright, uh, I, I, won't, <laughs> I won't say that this is a rant, but we can at least talk about, like... And this was sort of hinted at in Act, in act 1, that, like, there's a bit of more of an allegorical context with uh with not so much Sauron but with Saruman that like he has his own designs of of being a more sort of technological move forward which which is both both bad for Middle Earth itself I guess we're supposed to we're supposed to know and all and certainly bad for the Ents in the forest like there's a bit of a of an industrial revolution kind of uh beat back here yeah, that's that's an inter that's kind of interesting because it, it it's kind of like environmentalism before environmentalism was a thing. Is well, is it environmentalism or is it you know, is it fear of is it fear of the unknown that it's is inspiring Tolkien to kind of make that commentary it's a little it's a little bit of both and like i'm not exactly sure if this is as much like a tolkien thing as it is a like what peter jackson wants to kind of uh like you uh (laughs) like you have the lines and this is an act one ceremony says the world is changing which is has been pointed out by by many people in most notably to me red letter media is some of the most like uh cliched like trailer lines mm-hmm. um the but but he then says the old world will burn in the fires of the industry and like that's about as as uh blatant as you can get and then when you 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 speak of like the ents which which i believe you'll get into unless that was an that was an extended edition thing uh no the the ents are in the uh, were in the the at, yeah theatrical cut yeah. at least like them explaining the sort of like how their forest was like destroyed and and real souls sentient beings killed by by like Saruman's sort of pivot. 
Um, yeah. It adds, like, another dimension in this movie, at least. Like, it adds, like, something that's somewhat uh, real-world. All right, but, let's talk about is... Um, oh, were you, were you not done? No, no, you could go on. Okay. I, well, what I wanted to talk about was the part with Gollum, a.k.a. Smeagol, and, like I mentioned, his character has a little more depth than what we were hinting at with Act 1, that he, he's clearly kind of torn between two personalities. And... Frodo showing him mercy has kind of brought that other personality to the surface where he's fighting back against this insane gibbering creature that is Gollum, that that only cares for the ring and uh, is convinced that everyone is out to get him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really powerful scene. Yeah, uh, at night. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... it takes a character that, if it didn't have that scene, could have wound up being kind of annoying, and and actually makes him worth something. Yeah, just the shot reverse shot and the completely different. You buy that these are two different entities that inhabit the same body, just because the physicality of of both those characters is completely different. The the way they react, the way they talk to each other, right? You know, the kind of snide teasing you know nobody likes you that kind of like it made me want it's such schoolyard bullying but you would understand why Schmeagle would like listen to that because it's it, it must have been such a long time since Smeagle had anyone show him any sort of affection whatsoever not affection but compassion yeah. whatsoever yeah it, and and the the shot reverse shot, the fact that like Gollum being like the aggressor is is put in more of a close up, like the the shot features more of his face. There's a bit more of a medium close up on on Smeagol, like in his anxiety, so you get like a little bit of a distance, and with less authority. Um, and as far as I can tell, it still follows like the 180 degree rule, where it's but but I think that 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 like more that's more a, an extension of of like presenting something twisted in a, in a relatively conventional cinematic way to show, as you were saying, that it's two different characters. Um, but in yeah. any case, um, do you, do you think that like other people could have, could have done this role justice? Is it, is it Andy circus? Is it the good CGI work? Is it the, is it everything like, does Andy circus like add something extra that like, in another in another actor, uh, the that same editing, those same shots couldn't have done. I think if you don't, if you do this completely in a computer, which was the intention, you 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 would lose some of the you would lose the physicality and the weight of the performance. I think. Mm-hmm. I think you there's something to be said for having again, you know, Elijah Wood and. Sam Ast and Sean Aston didn't. They they were decidedly worse. Not that they were bad actors, but just the performances weren't quite there when Andy Serkis wasn't on set with them. Because you kind of need that thing to act against. Right. And in the case of this particular scene, it uh, I'm trying to think of like an example where you could do this scene without having some sort of reference point. 
Because that's what they would have to do. Like, they would... The animators of Gollum already had to manually animate every single movement of his face. And they already had to use Andy Serkis's, uh facial performance as a guide. Like, imagine if they just didn't have that. How much the character would have seemed lifeless. And it would have hit that, you know, kind of uncanny valley... Final Fantasy, the spirits within kind of look. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah, the CGI is impressive, but everyone just looks dead behind the eyes. It it, it looks perfect at the expense of looking good. Exactly. Um, back, Backlash? Yeah, I'm going to kind of agree with you. Uh, it, it definitely has a lot to do with um, with the content. I I, th- I think... Because this this is probably unfair, but I keep going back to Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> who also has an actor standing in for him, but he looks so much less real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Follow-up well, question: Could Brad Dourif had done this? Have <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> oh, actually, I... that might have worked. I think it might have worked. I, I could mean, he... see. I could see. I could. I don't know if he'd be able to pull off Schmeagle, though. That is, that's the, that's yeah. the thing. I don't know if he'd be able to pull off just, like, how pathetic and, not innocent, but kind of like, uh... Yeah, I mean, he wasn't the one saying, Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play. You you couldn't, you couldn't get, like, Hi, I'm Smeagol, wanna play from... from uh, no. <laughs> Uh, oh, we're gonna have to do the Chucky movies. Uh, fuck. Yeah. I look forward to that. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you guys, uh, does anyone have anything on else on Act 2 as I ruminate over that? So, uh, uh John, John Reese davies um, doing both, uh, Gimli and, and the voice of Treebeard. Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, I thought, I did, I was like... I didn't bother to look it up, and I'm like, that sounds a lot like John Reese davies but maybe it's just... Maybe it's some other voice I, I recognize I can't put the face to, but I, I didn't realize it was actually... He did a very good job, actually. Yeah. Distinguishing himself. Yeah, and it, definitely. Like, the, the Ents themselves, like, in addition to sort of having, like, a, a very world kind of significance, also in their own way are... um. Are are somewhat comic relief. Like I'm not sure. Like, is your act the one where they they sort of convene, where he convenes with the rest of them? Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. So so yeah, we'll get to that. But but it's it's at least like a neat kind of new character. Yeah, it's it's and it, it's a very whimsical child. Like you could see that this is like the the children's story kind of coming to life with that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than kind of the rest of what happens. This is the, the Lord of the Rings is the more grown up version of The Hobbit, but it, that's a, still a very whimsical kind of character. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, funeral scene. Uh, yada yada. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy like the sort of the beginning of the build up for the Battle of Helm's Deep with like the sheer forces of 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 the Urukai just like oh it's like a 
few hundred against like tens of thousands. And you really get a sense of that from uh, from Isengard. Yeah, like that, you... those are good CG shots. Those for 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 just an assembly line of things like really put over like the threat of it. Yeah, it's it, you can see the scale of the <laughs> the shit that the people in Helm's Deep are gonna have to put up with. It's it's massive, and yeah, that's that's probably the only time where I feel like the the Urukai are like a good like actually feel like a threat because, like I said, the most most of the time they just kind of feel like guys who exist to get defeated by the Power Rangers. Wait, did you mention that Aragorn fell off? You mentioned Aragorn fell off the cliff, right? Yep, by by those those wargs. Okay, which are, which are really cool. Probably, yeah, they are. Probably like also another another bit of CG um, that like if you really strain and look close, like you could you could be like, yeah, that looks kind of ridiculous, but but in concept, like it, it gets over that. Yeah, you see, just uh, you see. You almost see not enough of them for you to be able to be like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the shots you get of them are like more that they're ferocious than they're. Then, if you're just like staring at them, be like, yeah, that doesn't. Really... <sighs> okay. Act three. A weathered but alive Aragorn is making his way towards Helm's Deep, where he happens upon the vast Urukai army. Aragorn makes it to Helm's Deep just in time to see that. Th- that the Theoden King has his head firmly up his ass about just how big a threat they're facing here. Aragorn is like, look, you've never faced an army like this. Maybe we should take it a little more seriously and ask for help from the other races. And Theoden is like, dude, everyone in the world is either racist or useless. How about you back the fuck off me and let me tr- at least try to give my guys the glory of a Klingon death. And Aragorn is like, what's a Klingon? And Theoden is like, exactly, and leaves. Back with Treebeard, Merry, and Pippin, uh, where the Ents all meet to decide what to do about this Saruman character. They meet. It's unless there's something that happens in the extended cut that I don't know because they don't really show the meeting in my cut. It, does it? Does it include the part where it takes them a whole day to say hello? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Back at Helm's Deep. The women and the children are led to a cave. Every able-bodied male, whether they are a child or not, is to be given swords and shields. Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas see this motley crew of would-be soldiers for what they are. Less a group of soldiers and more a group of jabronis who are almost most certainly gonna die. Aragorn and Legolas have a brief spat over this, but it's no biggie they make up about it pretty soon. Theoden stands alone and is mired in self-doubt because, well, all of his people are about to die, and that's, like, not a great place to be when you're a king. Nevertheless, our heroes prepare for war, but wait a minute. That's no orc horn. It's John Cena! Or the what? closest to- <laughs> Jesus, you blew out my headphones. <laughs> or the closest this universe gets to John Cena. The elves have come to stand with the people of Rohan. What proceeds to happen is a series of badass establishing shots as their Urukai make their way towards Helm's Deep. Rain begins to fall, lightning flashes, thunder rumbles as the fearsome Urukai mar- make their march. Bows are drawn as the Urukai stomp and roar and champ. Then some old Jeroni lets an arrow fly by accident. 
But it's no matter, because the arrow kills one of them and reveals the Urukai's one true weakness. Taking something really sharp to the motherfucking neck. <sighs> I could give you a play-by-play of every single thing that happens in this battle. In fact, I'm almost certain that Chris has written down every single thing that's happened in this battle. But sort nothing... Of, yeah. <laughs> but nothing I say could match the magnitude or the sheer awesomeness. They even fit in a Wilhelm scream. Which we haven't note which we haven't mentioned has been in literally all the movies that we've reviewed. Every single one has a Wilhelm scream. <sighs> Back in the woods, the Ints decide not to go to war, which royally pisses off Mary. Pippin is like, hey, maybe he's right. Let's just go back to the Shire and wait this one out. Mary's like, you dipshit. What makes you think the Shire is even going to exist? The Shire is going to get imploded, just as the planet Vulcan did. And Pippin is like, what's Vulcan? And Mary's like, exactly. More awesome shit, ha- more awesome shit happens at Helm's Deep as the Urkai breach the building's only weak spot because every badass lair, regardless of his it's occupied by the noble men of Middle-earth, or the evil dictatorship of the Empire needs at least one super obvious weak spot that no one ever thinks to defend. They pull back to the keep, and the one elf guy who stopped the Fellowship from entering Rivendell and just showed up here despite not having much to do with the story ends up dying. The Urukai try to break the door down as the men and elves try to brace it. Aragorn tosses the dwarf and himself onto the causeway to buy Theoden some more time, but the Urukai have goddamn trebuchets. Or, is it a trebuchet if it's a giant crossbow? Ah, whatever, doesn't matter. HBO Max's fast-forward feature sucks. That's not important, but it is bothersome. The castle gets breached and everyone continues to fall back. (sighs) Back with Treebeard, Pippin convinces Treebeard to go south because he's realized that that might be a way to get the Ents to do what he wants. Turns out that by going south, he leads Treebeard to what is essentially a tree holocaust. Having seen the slaughter of his tree friends, Treebeard calls out the remaining Ents, and they decide to go to war after all. Back with Frodo and Sam, Faramir is being a stupid asshole, trying to bring the ring to his father to prove his worth. Apparently, everyone wants the One Ring, even though the One Ring is definitely, definitely evil. Sam was like, hey, fuckhead, your brother died because he tried to take the fucking ring from Frodo. Maybe thinking it's the most definitely the end to your troubles is a bad idea, you fucking goon. And oh look, the Nazgul are here to search for the ring. Good going, Faramir. Theoden is ready to give up just as the Urukai tried to get to the women and children, but Aragorn convinces him to make one last glorious attempt to save the day. Perhaps today is a good day to die. As Aragorn, Gimli, and Theoden ride out, By God, by God, that's Gandalf the White's music! He's a-walkin', by God, he's a-talkin', and he's fixin' to ki- He's fixin' to open a can of wizardry whoop-ass on the Urukai with Eomer by his side! <sighs> I do not have a good Jim Ross impersonation. Meanwhile, the Inslay waste the Isengard while Saruman looks on in horror. They break open the dam and drown the mines. Back in Gondor, Frodo comes face to face with the Ring Wraith and is all but ready to put on the ring and go to Sauron, but Sam stops him just in time. Frodo damn near kills Sam over it, but is snapped out of it thanks to his love for Sam. 
Sam points out that they're only here because they had to move the script around, as the climax of the Two Towers is going to happen at the beginning of the Return of the King, but gives an inspiring speech about why heroes from old, old stories keep fighting in the face of adversity. Faramir finally comes to his senses and allows Frodo, Sam, and Schmeagol to go. Schmeagol has been conspicuous in his absence, which is probably just a happy accident that came when they had to shuffle some scenes around. The day is one, but Gandalf points out that there's a third movie we have to get to. We get some charming banter between Frodo and Sam, but it seems Smeagol is a fixin' to pull a Mordor screw job. Our movie ends on this harrowing note without much fanfare, only the promise that much more harrowing shit is going to happen to our two hobbits pals. Roll credits, and we're out. <sighs> Yay. Um... So yeah, I'll uh, I'll go go ahead and say it. Um, as much, however, I ranked um, the Star Wars movies. I don't think that anyone any one of them like resolved or, or had as satisfying a climax as that first like trench run in, in A New Hope. Mm-hmm. I would say that like Helm's Deep is probably the most satisfyingly built up and and followed through climax that we've seen on this podcast since then. Yeah, I think so. This just doesn't. I like I said, I could have gone through every single thing that happens, but it really needs to be watched. Like, I don't think I could do justice to just uh, just how badass it is. Like, just in the little bits of like humor that we get with like Gimli being like, "Hey, Legolas, I've killed two of them," and Legolas being like, "I've killed seventeen. And Gimli saying, I'll not have some pointy ear beat me. And, like, it's just, it's just yeah. a bit of, a bit well, of that fun. reminds me, that reminds me, I wanted to point out the, that Gimli had a great opportunity to call Legolas a kill-stealing bitch in Act 2. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, oh. but, yeah, just the Battle of Helm's Deep, it's, it's perfect. You get the sense that they knew they... They knew that this had to be the centerpiece of not just this movie, but kind of the trilogy as a whole. Because I got, I, I get the feeling that when we get to the big battle that's coming in King, it's not going to be anything close to this because yeah. it basically can't be. Well, I mean, we'll both be watching the extended edition because, and that, and that, I think actually does hit four hours. Not just considering all the fan club credits. Um. But I mean, also the escalation of things in it is perfect. Um, you you get a sense that the Orakai are, are far from being mooks; are also like tacticians because first they they try to they try to just move in, and then then they bring up their ladders that gets knocked down, and then they have their 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 sort of human ladders where the like the much bigger structures with with like mm-hmm. people already hanging off them. They have the the battering ram. Um, they've got bombs. Yeah. Oh, the sort of- <laughs> the, ma- the marathon runner orc with the torch. <laughs> that's, gets, that's a great visual. Yeah, who gets shot like three times by Legolas? It just and then just like keeps running and then basically basically commits uh, what's it called? Basically blows himself up to make sure that the bombs go off. Mm-hmm. Um, <sighs> I'll always remember and basically. Watching this movie, I confirmed that I had only seen the Battle of Helm's Deep, and I had not seen it in full prior to this viewing. 
because I will always remember the scene of Legolas like sliding down uh, the steps on a shield while while uh, shooting arrows. <laughs> yeah, let, let let's talk about Legolas for a bit because his power scale starts to go starts to rise dramatically in this movie, mm-hmm. and I think it's not until the next movie where it reaches ridiculous levels, and then in uh, the later two Hobbit movies, it, it, it's basically just a parody of itself. Oh, really? Oh boy. Yeah, this is some serious power creep. It's like, uh, it's like Cloud and Final Fantasy VII Advent Children or something. It's just like, oh how powerful are you really? Like, uh, so what, what was everyone's favorite part of the um, the the Ents versus Isengard? <sighs> Probably that one Ent that's that get, that's set on fire and it's just like, yes. now I have a new way to kick your ass. <laughs> No, but but then like as everything's flooded in Isengard, like you later see that same tree, and he and he just is able to douse himself in the in the wave of water. Like, and it's not even like close up or anything. It's just he's just among them, like sort of like riding among the among the water, and he's just like, oh, <laughs> I can use this opportunity. Yeah, and I think my favorite is just watching Sormon just like freak the fuck out, like. Shit, 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 shit. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I don't have an army. I don't have anyone to, to, to stop this. What do I do? Like him frantically running back and forth like he doesn't know what the fuck to do while Isengard is just laid to waste. It's just like chef kiss because it's like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the first it's honestly the first bit of comeuppance that he gets like he's not going to give He's not gonna give a shit if how many Urukai die, but like his base of operations getting fucked up, that's gonna bother him. Yeah, and then I, again, now I feel like a jerk for calling Faramir a stupid asshole because, like I said, he he has actual character motivation. Again, hmm. why why would you take that part out of the movie? Like it it especially on the. Yeah, on the subject of Saruman, though, I actually forgot how little Christopher Lee is in these movies. Like he was—he's one of the big selling points. And I, I know in the in uh, the third movie, he's he's not even in it in the theatrical cut. He's not. Well, no. Well, has... does he does he get blown up when with the rest of Isengard? Or I don't know what happens to him. Oh, oh, but... I know what. I know what happens because of uh, this is more of a behind the scenes thing, but we'll we'll get to it and you'll probably find out about it. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure I'll see it because okay, I'm gonna watch what, the extended cut. Yeah. Well, I I think I know what happens too. I think. Yeah. I, at you, least you've I've seen that video, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have. But um, <laughs> but whatever whatever the case, um, it's also interesting. Like, if we compare this, like, as a tr- one narrative trilogy, like how. There's a distinct difference between this and Empire Strikes Back, and how it, and how it resolves. Empire Strikes Back uh, is the is the it's the series of down endings. It's the it's the sort of like we don't know what. And si- similar in a sense to like Last Jedi, but Last Jedi is a bit more hopeful. Like this one ends with like a lot of triumph, caveated by by like there's still a battle ahead. Yeah, it's like okay, we won the day, but like shit is still not great like you get the definite sense that like shit isn't over yet they have they have managed a win in spite of themselves which 
I feel like in any I feel like in any decent trilogy that's kind of like a good place to be like we managed to yeah sure you managed to win kind of but there's something else you know I feel like I feel like lots of movies that end up doing the trilogy thing especially cuz a lot of movies that wind up being trilogies aren't planned to be trilogies from the start it kind of it leads to that thing where you get like really really ropey second parts uh-huh because obviously they they never had a plan so it's just like basically the good guys just do the exact same shit that they did before but it never it never feels as good as the first time they did it yeah, you you could you couldn't possibly re- be referring to a recent like J.J. Abrams interview, could you? Uh, no, I, I actually wasn't in this case, but oh. it, it, it yeah, it's a oh, good point maybe, nonetheless. Yeah, <laughs> golly golly gee, we maybe should have had a plan. Ooh, would have oh. turned out better. Who who would have guessed that the guy who didn't have a fucking plan for Lost, didn't have a fucking plan for the Star Trek sequel, didn't have a plan for you know, check his last... Every single project that he's had that has a sequel, who would have guessed that he thinks he should have a plan for his sequel sometimes? Can I just say I'm excited for his Portal movie? Why? Because given the track record of video game movies, I know there's been a couple good video game movies, especially in the past couple years, but how bad is he going to fuck this up? (sighs) Uh, as you know, it's gonna be bad. <laughs> don't don't ruin Portal for me. Stop doing Portal wrong. Yeah, uh, what? But I forgot. Someone else. I I forgot what I was gonna say. Uh, so did I. So did JJ Abrams. <laughs> Actually, you know what I was thinking? Uh, right before the Battle of Helm's Deep, they're doing that joke with Gimli where he can't see over the precipice. And Legolas says something like, should I bring you a box? Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder, could Danny DeVito have played this part? No. <laughs> I think Danny DeVito could play this part, should play this part, and he should not have tried to, to put on an accent. <laughs> Just a thick New York accent in the exactly. middle of, of Middle Earth. He, he should have he just been Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I do like the little back and forth. I like, I like the back and forth between like what remains of the fellowship. Again, we, we are told that they're friends in fellowship. We actually see that they're friends in this movie. Well, no, I mean, it's made clear in fellowship that Legolas and Gimli don't like each other, but they're starting to like grow fond of each other, I'd say. And yeah. I like that bit at the end where Gimli is just sitting on a corpse and it's just like, so what's your final kill count? Oh, 42. Ha <laughs> ha, mine was 43. Legolas just shoots an arrow. like, like, oh, that one was still twitching. Because of my axe is still in his head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, was, that was not in the theatrical cut. That was... I don't... Oh. I'm, trying, I'm trying to think. I don't think the shield sliding was in the theatrical cut either. I can't even believe that. That... That's really weird because I always saw that. I'm, yeah, I guess it's just my perspective. My friends were showing me the extended cut, and I was like, "Fuck that!" That's yeah, pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty, sh- I'm, I'm like ninety five percent sure that that doesn't happen in in the theatrical cut. 
again, it's weird the stuff that they decide to like take that they decide to keep out and stuff that they decide to keep in. Not that the shield slide needed to be in the movie. Clearly it was added because like at that point Legolas was like kind of even more iconic than someone like Aragorn is. Certainly more kind of like fanboyed and fangirled over than 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 Aragorn was. Likely because so, he's more complex. He's portrayed more complex. Yeah, probably. Um and but he's he, also and he's also he's also can't can't pick between two different women. <sighs> why why does this hideous fucking chud always get the choice to be pick between two women? Clerks two reference. I'm the only Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the only fucking person that's gonna make a clerks two reference. Oh oh made one a couple no, no, episodes no. ago. I, I admire your bravery for doing so because I definitely had a Kevin Smith phase in my life, so <laughs> I mean I, I said I said the series of down endings thing, like in, in relation to Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um but yeah, this just we haven't really talked about Gandalf in this movie, but I feel like he uh very much a non presence. Uh aside from the stuff with Theoden uh being rem- his curse being removed. Yeah, uh, Ian McKellen actually says he enjoyed playing Gandalf the Grey more than he did of playing Gandalf the White, and I feel like it's because Gandalf the White is um less at least in this movie, I don't know what happens in Return of the King, but not as interesting character. He's a he's a bit more functional and symbolic for and not even symbolic for the audience, but for the but for the characters. Yeah. Just something that like yeah. he's kind of a Deus Ex machina also, like as I, far as Holmes deep. I, I feel like the issue with Gandalf the Grey is that he comes off kind of like your crazy old grandpa. Yeah. And it's and, much easier to be warm and, and have relationships with characters than Yeah. And, yeah, and Gandalf the White, he's more the wise sage. Yeah. It's you look it's, you look at yeah, you look at Alec Guinness in a new hope and he's basically able to do both. Yeah, exactly. Be the wise sage and the warm grandpa. Where, where I and I don't think that's like a bad acting choice. I think there no. has there has to be a demonstrable difference between who Gandalf the Grey is and who Gandalf the White is. Because otherwise, why have Gandalf be resurrected at all? It's like you could Jesus. just have him be Gandalf the Grey, and it wouldn't matter. So, as an actor, there definitely has to be a difference in the two characters. And I do feel like Gandalf the White comes off as a bit more confident, you know, when they're when they have to give uh, when they have to give up their weapons and uh, the guard acts for uh, Gandalf's staff. He says, oh, well, you wouldn't he certainly wouldn't take away, you know, an an old man's walking stick, would you? And the guard just kind of rolls his eyes and says. Okay, fine. And then he looks over to Aragorn real quick, and he just gives him the little wink. And I was like, "That's that's cute. That's kind of nice." I don't know if that's like a little bit of Gandalf the Gray coming through, but also with like a little bit more confidence. Like, I it's not that I think that Gandalf was a bad character. I just think he wasn't as interesting as he was in the in Fellowship. What is the name of the 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 elf that joins them? 
I, I find it funny you refer to him as John Cena, considering he jobs out like immediately. <laughs> well, I was more talking about how the the entire army of elves was John Cena, not just that that one who dies. Who <laughs> I guess we saw him like we saw him in Fellowship. He's the one that's stops the Fellowship right before they get to Rivendell or whatever. And then he shows up in this movie and Aragorn gives him a hug and I'm like, do you, am I supposed to know more about this character than I do? Because I definitely don't. I'm kind of... But okay, sure. And then he kind of dies and it's supposed to mean something, but it also doesn't mean anything because none of the characters really seem sad about it. No. It's... I mean... I guess it just is what it is, but it was it was just a bit it was a bit weird that they like it seems like he was just there because they needed someone we that we knew. And again, that could have been a part of Arwen also being at this fight. Uh, it's it's uh, it's so there are, sloppy. Yeah, there taking a trip to Slapsville. Yeah, there are aspects of these movies that are, that as good as they are, it's a little bit like, uh, there was probably a better way for you to accomplish this. But again, that's what happens when you are filming three movies back to back to back without, you know, without a break. And you're actually changing the script and the story as you film movies and then changing stuff again once you're actually editing the movie and doing post-production and shit on it. It's... It's... Stuff like that is where the scenes of the movie show. Um, I guess we'll see how that goes with The Hobbit, because apparently that was even worse in in terms of crunch and not having a completed script or storyboards and shit like that. It's... It, there is it, so much wrong with the Hobbit movies, uh, not just what's on screen, but what happened behind the scenes. I'm sure your trivia for that one is going to be very, very long. Um, how do we feel about Gollum's turn to the dark side at the end of the movie? It makes sense. Yeah, it does, because he feels as though Frodo has uh, betrayed him, essentially. And... He doesn't really have much context to understand that Frodo was trying to help him. And so he's just like, Gollum is able to convince Schmeagol to basically just kill kill them. Finally kill them and take the the ring for themselves. Yeah. Schmeagol's a very anxious, very insecure, very, very fragile person. Um, Just as like he's able to get some hope from... from someone showing compassion, he could easily be fooled into thinking that that uh that no, they actually don't care about you if something can can be mistaken. And now what about cover it? Yeah, I think that could unless anyone has anything else on Act Three, that could probably lead us into what our final thoughts on the movie are. Yeah, I think that's about it. Alright, so what is everyone's final thoughts on the two towers? I'm gonna say um, 
Return of the King. I don't know what, what to expect from it just yet, but uh, it's going to have to try really hard to overcome how much I liked this one. So we'll yeah. see. Uh, like you said, probably uh, the best, most conclusive good endings and still the feeling that the quest is not over yet. Um, I would say very, very satisfying conclusion. Really good climax. Um, again, like, jumping around occasionally, like, got me a bit, uh, drifty. But, as I said prior, everything that was established in Fellowship of the Ring was allowed to sort of, like, work its magic in this. And, uh, that, that paid off dividends by the, by the Helmsteed battle. Considering the fact that I was at the end of the of Fellowship of the Ring, I was like, I don't know if these movies are going to be for me. I don't really know how to feel. I think this movie is like, I'm definitely on board with the story. I'm on board with the characters. I'm on board with arcs. I think this movie did a really good job, whether it was on purpose or on accident, just separating all these characters i think separating gave every character kind of time to come into their own and thus it made it a far more compelling watch i think the battle of helm's deep is again i actually one day we're gonna rank like big battles and movies and stuff like that like, once we build up a big enough catalog, Helm's Deep and the Trench Run are, like, one and two in my mind right now. Because they're both, they're both immaculately choreographed and just, they're so well made. And you could, I love movie scenes where you can tell that there's lots of love and passion poured into just getting this scene right. Forget whatever else happens in the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie can be however we would, and we have to move this scene around and take out this character, blah blah blah. But the one scene we can't, the one scene we can't fuck with is the trench run. The one scene we can't fuck with is Helm's Deep. This is the scene we have to get right. And I just, I, this was this this completely turned me around on on Lord of the Rings. I'm still not gonna read the fucking books because fuck that. But I, I, I'm anxious. I want to see what happens in the Return of the King, and I think if the Hobbit movies end up being what we think the Hobbit movies are gonna be, I think I will understand why rabbit Lord of the Rings fans did not like them at all. From the bits and pieces I've seen. I'm definitely already getting that sense. <sighs> and so, on that bombshell, our next episode will round out the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's going to be Return of the King. Again, I haven't seen this movie. I'm guessing you two haven't. You've either seen parts of this of Return of the King or none of Return of the King at all. I've seen it, I saw it in theaters when it first came out, because like, I, I believe this was the first, uh, my, when I was a freshman in high school, and, it, and it's like, hey, everyone, the hype is building up around it, may as well just, like, go ahead, and I ended up liking it, I don't 
remember too much about it, but... And I'm going in completely blind. Yeah, me too. I was trying to think. The only movie that everyone in high school said you had to see was Napoleon Dynamite, and I am yeah. glad... <laughs> I am glad that that never... I ne- that never came to be. I'm glad but that I, that's God, I, I remember that I remember that movie being the shit when I was in high school, and now I just look back at myself from high school and I'm like you were a little shit. It's fucking embarrassing, yeah. What it like Roger Ebert? Robert, Roger Ebert was right about that character, just just aggressively unlikable. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Just. Ugh. Thank God Napoleon Dynamite isn't a franchise. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> You but, just wait. Someone will want to either remake it or, or do some bullshit. Do a do a sequel. Do a fucking TV series on whatever network, whatever fucking studio owns that's gonna make it HBO Max or Paramount Plus or whatever. It's it's almost destined to happen. <sighs> but anyway, we're not talking about bad movies. We're talking about good movies. And Return of the King, we're hoping is going to be a very good movie as we round out the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. And so on that note, my name is KC. I'm your Fox Spin Backlash. And I'm no Chris Alive. Uh, 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 Sequelize its mess on the monotone. And we will see it. Uh, we, we, we won't see it. We will see you next time on Sequelizing. <laughs>